Welcome to the CU Gathering, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. Like we do each week, can we have a volunteer, big loud voice, to read it out for us? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. You are dark, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given, given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, but to put, uh, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in, in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, and speak truthfully to his neighbour. For we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. He must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Congratulations, Laura Pike, of the first Bible reader to go on to, I think, the second maybe, to go on to the, um, the website. So we're recording these talks so they can go onto the website if people miss them. Um, the thing is, if you miss the talk, you actually miss out on everything else that gets to be part of the gathering tonight. So they don't get the food and all that other stuff as well, uh, plus the table talk and the training. But that's why we have this thing here from now on. Uh, Tonight we're looking in Ephesians 4. We just read that and we're going to do, uh, we'll learn another method. So in the last two weeks we've been looking at the topic of identity. And in the first topic, which was you and uh, who are you, who are we, we asked that question. We also used a method there. Uh, who can tell me what that method was? What method were you <coughs> teaching as we also looked at the topic at the same time? And what are you thinking of volunteering for that? The reason we teach you method in these first few weeks is that when you're reading the Bible, when you're thinking about God, and we're thinking about how we may be trained and teach it to others, um, it, it requires training in method. What was the first method we looked at? Anyone remember? Yeah, it was systematic theology, wasn't it? It was getting a topic, and you get all the Bible, and see what all the Bible says about that particular topic. Then last week, we were looking at uh, the old and the new. That was the topic of the talk, and we particularly were in uh, Jeremiah. But what was the, the type, the method of, of looking at the Bible in that particular talk? And that, how, what do we teach there? Biblical theology. Biblical theology. 
looking at God's whole and overarching plan through all of the Bible, through all of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. That's what we're doing. This week, we're going to do something, the third one, the third and main one of how to read the Bible. And that is, uh, it's called exegesis. It's a funny sounding word, uh, but it's, it basically means exe, ex, out of, out of, uh, and learning out of the text rather than uh, eisegesis is, is uh, interpreting into the text, thinking, getting an idea and putting your own idea into the text. Exegesis is out of the text. It's basically reading the Bible, reading the text, and seeing what it means. It's very simple. You kind of do it naturally. But tonight, we're just going to read through the text and see what the text is saying, looking at key parts of it, looking at things like verbs and doing words, things like that, that teach us what we ought to be doing, looking for those things like imperatives, do not do this, or do do this, and uh, seeing where this text is moving us towards. And in the end, the whole point of doing exegesis is to have a big idea, see what the text is saying, and apply it. That's what Table Talk is going to be tonight. Applying what we learn out of the text in the Bible. Because we learn out of the text in the Bible, we pray. Because God is speaking to us through his word, so let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thanks again that you speak to us. And Father, we pray that as you do that, that uh, we will be submissive to your word. And we pray that we would all apply what you say to us tonight by being doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Point one, Bible reading and prayer. So as you do exegesis, as we get what the text says and, and listen to what it says to us and apply that, it's really important we do pray in response. We think about how do we respond. We pray. So at the end of a Bible talk, you notice what we do is we pray as, as a first response. I mean, a couple of years ago, I was at a uh, youth conference and, uh, you know, youth, they're all excited and they're kind of just a little bit more excited than you guys are because you guys are just out of that youth stage. You're young adults now. You know, you're uni students and you sort of, not you know, just 18 anymore, you're 18 and a uni student. But youth are just a bit below that. And uh, you know, they're very excited, and so they're very excitable about everything. Whereas you guys, you know, look, you've got an essay on. What's there to be excited about? You know, you're too cool for that. So these guys, very excited, 3,000 youth. And there was a Bible reading. And uh, straight away after the Bible reading, um, some people started clapping. And one of my youth group guys just, just said, in a big, loud voice, you don't clap the Bible! <laughs> Actually, for as, you know, as embarrassing as it was, he was right. Um, as a first response to hearing God's word, you don't just clap it as if it's entertainment. The first response should be, be what Jesus preaches in Mark 1, 14 and 15. When you hear the gospel, you repent and believe. That's what you do. When you hear what God speaks to us through his word, you repent and believe. Um, so the first point is pray and repent. We're going to do that tonight. We're going to see what God says to us because... Tonight, particularly, we're looking at this topic, the third in the series of identity, living in the new. What it means to live in the new. This, this passage, this text, asks us to repent and believe. It asks us to change. As a first response, we'll pray, and we'll do that. And we want to pray that we'll change. Uh, we want to pray that we'll be living in the new. You'll notice in your Bible there, you might have little uh, bold letters or bold titles above some paragraphs. And it might say in yours, the new life, ESV, NIV has something similar uh, King James has the new man or something. Uh, it has a little title there. Just as a starter, in terms of reading the Bible text, a little tip. You, that's not the Bible. Right, that text there is not actually the original autograph, the original text of the Bible. That's a title. In fact, you could call it a commentary. It's like someone said, they'd summarise that for you. Instead of you getting the big idea, instead of you listening to that text and reading it carefully and seeing what the whole big idea is for that section, someone's done it for you and they've written the new life. But it's kind of lazy, isn't it? And plus, they're not always necessarily right. So don't read that bit as part of the Bible text. If you've written the Bible out loud in front of church or somewhere, don't go, the new life, 
Now I say don't do that. Just read the Bible text, okay? That just helps a little commentary along the way. Um, when you're reading the Bible and we're thinking about living in the new, this particular text, you could call it the new life if you wanted to, if you were lazy, but let's have a look at it ourselves. This particular text starts by making a comparison. It's a comparative. It starts by making a comparison between two groups of people. That there is a difference here between people who are Christians, that is followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, and people who are not unbelievers. Um, and that there ought to be a difference, we see here in this text. There ought to be a difference. For we see, firstly, point three, of what not to do. So in terms of working out who you are in the whole scheme of the universe and life and everything that is university to you, there are things not to do. Paul writes the Ephesians and he says this is what's not to do. We see, starting in verse 17, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. In the ESV they label them Gentiles and might send other translations Greeks. Um, it doesn't just mean you know, the Greeks are bad people. Uh, people who are unbelievers. People who are unbelievers. And not just Jews and Gentiles separation, but Jews or true Jews. Paul is writing to Christian people here, the Ephesian church. He's writing to Christians because, of course, the Christ event has happened. And post-Christ event, if you're a true Jew, if you're a true believer in God, what necessarily ought you become? You become a person who follows Jesus. Jesus the Jew, Jesus the one they've been waiting for all this time, the Messiah, the one talked about way back in Jeremiah and Isaiah and all those Old Testament books we kind of skimmed through and touched last week. Jesus comes along, and for the true Jew, a true Jew is someone who is a believer in Jesus in the end. And they're not called Christians until about Acts 11. Uh, so they're, they're still, they're believers. These are, these are people who are believers in the true God, Jesus Christ himself. And Paul says to them, don't walk then like the Gentiles. Don't walk like the others, unbelievers. Don't continue doing that. He uses that word walk. It's a funny sort of way to describe it. A life, isn't it? You know, walking. Uh, you know, sort of say to people these days, um, how you going? How's your walk going? No one kind of says that, do they? They say, how's your, how's your day? Or um, what have you been up to lately? Um, if you're an American, how you doing? I just noticed that I you know, speak to a lot of Americans and tell me, how you doing? I was told that's because Americans love doing stuff. I don't know. Daniel might correct us on that. But Australians, it's how you're going. It's how you go. How's your how's your life going? This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, when it comes to your walk, your life, it's about your life, not just how you your gait, not just how you present yourself when you walk along, but your life. In terms of your life, the day-to-day living that you have, and you know, you wake up and you go to sleep and all that stuff in between, that don't live as unbelievers would live in the everyday stuff. And not just to kind of occasionally, you know, it's good to go to church on a Sunday and that sort of thing. No, every day, don't live like unbelievers. And we see the reason in verse 17, because it's not just because grandma's generation would disapprove. Uh, it's not because, you know, we've culturally changed. But we've seen verse 17, there is a big reason why we ought not live like unbelievers. We see that there in verse 17. Because unbelievers have uh, a futility of their minds. There's a futility of their minds. Actually, to live as an unbeliever, to live as a person who has not uh, understood who Jesus is about and put their trust in Him as Saviour and Lord, Paul makes, it sounds like an arrogant statement, doesn't it? It sounds like that, well, there's, there's a foolishness there in an unbeliever's mind. Well, you can actually look at the world and see that there is a problem. There is a futile way of thinking, a darkness. Verse 18 describes this futility of the mind. It describes it as a, like a kind of like a darkness, a place of no understanding. 
Uh, people are, are meant to see the world how it really is, and they don't. And we see that there is ignorance, a hard-heartedness, a life that is, verse 18 describes, alienated from God, separate from God. It's funny because even today, people uh, will justify all sorts of things in the name of being a thinker. Uh, I was reading lately, and I, it was in an airport, and it was one of those kind of, you know, kind of magazines, it was on a waiting table or something like that. Um, I forget the exact story, I forget the details, but they were talking about the sexual revolution uh, from a feminist point of view. It was very interesting. This particular feminist was uh, talking about how it's great how women can now uh, finally you know, take off their clothes and go into a magazine and do all that stuff because they're liberated and they're free. And they do it because we now know in our thinking that it's they have power over men. But, you know, like I'm just a simple country boy, but I know if a man is looking at a woman with no clothes on, he's not thinking, wow, you know, she's got me under her power. He's thinking something else. I think that the whole kind of feminist and porn agenda, which is this what article was talking about, is connected up in the idea it's actually controlled by men. You know, men are not saying, oh, don't do that, it's too powerful for me, you know, take it away from me, you're controlling my life. Men are saying, yeah, I'll, I'll do that, I'll take part in that. Thinking has distorted how we think about ourselves, what we think liberation is. Thinking has distorted what we think freedom is. We think, we think freedom is do whatever you want, it doesn't matter, that's not freedom. Thinking is darkened. Even when we think of good things to do for our society's sake, when we, we make nice, great inventions and we create all sorts of things, we have the possibility of doing things with stem cells, we kind of, we do it in darkened minds. There's a futility in our thinking. And there's not just those symptoms, they're just symptoms of a bigger problem. There is a problem with the futility of our thinking that we don't know God. And we treat other people poorly, we don't love our neighbours properly, and we don't we don't live in a right relationship with God because of our minds that are so darkened, they're so they're so hardened in our hearts that we don't know God properly. And we ought not to do that. That's the old way. That's the old way. That's the way that, that the, the Gentiles live, unbelievers live. That's what unbelievers do. And we see there that unbelievers, they lose compassion for others. They lose compassion for others. You know, we see, we do see occasionally, admittedly, that when bad things happen, like the bushfires, or when the tsunami happened in Asia, a lot of people in Australia got together and did good things. But the good that it amounted to is basically throwing rock concerts, which are fun and it's great, and Coldplay came and I missed out and I know, and it's very disappointing. But in the end, we can't even just give without having a concert. We can't even just do something good quietly. We can't even just love someone without patting ourselves on the back. And unbelievers are just so used to doing these things. Unbelievers are so used to being given up to, to that pat on the back. And then more, we see in verse 19, it gets more than just little bits of pride here and there. If we see in verse 19, well, the Gentiles, Paul describes, give themselves up to sensuality, greed, impurity. We see the futile mind is so darkened and closed that all it can think about is themselves. All I can think about is what I can have, what I can abuse, what I can consume. And we have uh, you know, limited guidelines for ourselves. We kind of have laws and, and constitutions about how we perhaps should treat one's neighbour, but we don't really know, we don't do it well or at all. Unbelievers do not live the way Jesus would have them live. Some people say, well, there's a lot of good done by the world. There is some good. But in any good, there's always, usually, uh, always uh, sin involved and usually bad motivations. We see here that unbelievers do not live the way 
the new way that Jesus would have us live. We were all once unbelievers. No one comes out of the womb born a believing person. No one comes out born a Christian. As you and I have all perhaps lived this way before. We've all had our minds darkened, hearts hardened, and lived with futile thinking. But there is a new and a better way. But that new and better way is not something that you can get from getting a university degree. That new and better way is not something you can get by uh, achieving great results. It's not something you can muster up within yourself. It's only a new and better way you can get because of what Jesus has done for you first. What Jesus has done for you first. So we see in verse 20, read verse 20, um, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created up the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, because we see that it's because of Christ we have a new life, we must make sure that everything keeps centering back in him. The new life centers in him. Our new way of thinking centers in him. In verse 21, we know we've heard the gospel. We've heard it here here before. You may have heard the gospel last week or the week before for the first time. You heard about Jesus Christ and him crucified, risen again for you, for your sake. You may have heard it before that. You may have heard it 10 years ago. But wherever it was, we've heard the gospel. For Christian people, for believers, we've heard Jesus Christ. We're taught in him. And that's the truth. It's the great reality about life. Knowing Christ actually makes sense of everything else in the world. It makes sense of everything else. He's not just an old guy, an old prophet that said some kind and nice stuff. Knowing Jesus and God's word, and which centers in Christ, makes sense of everything else. It makes sense of how we treat our neighbors. It makes sense of evil. It makes sense of uh, the way we understand beginning and end. It makes sense of ourselves, our identity. It makes sense of who we are. Because, because of what Jesus has done, we can and ought to walk differently. We ought to have different lives because of what Jesus has done. Because of what Jesus has done, you can, you have the ability to not be a slave to sin anymore, to not be futile in your thinking, to not be so darkened because, of course, the light has come. We read in John 1. The light has come into the world. Jesus sheds light on everything. And now we no longer need to be foolish, darkened, or hardened in our hearts. But before Jesus, you may have had many assumptions about the world and your place in it. Think about, maybe you could think about the time you were an unbeliever, before you were a Christian person. Think about what that was like for you. <coughs> have a think about your relationships with whatever you considered or who you considered were, was God or gods. What did you know about them? What were the details? What were the assurities you knew about God or gods? Think back about whatever you considered to be in ethics of morality. Did you have an ethic or did you just think there were morals? There is a difference. Um, ethics is a thought out morality morality is just whatever's there and you know whatever works did you try and work that out did you have a struggle with it do you struggle with the concept of a bill of rights being introduced in Australia who gets to decide that do you, do you think about do you think when you were an unbelieving person think about your relationship with eternity was it darkness to you did you know what's next did you have any assurity have you ever seen it or glimpsed it before that but now because of Jesus we can know God in relationship. We can know the one who created, owns, and values us. Because of Jesus, we know how to live rightly. We know how to follow the two great commandments which actually uh, influence all of our society. That is, we can love God and love our neighbor. If you love your neighbor, 
Well, that sums up all the law. And it's very profound, love God and love your neighbour. It changes the way societies think. It has changed the way towns, cities and whole societies think in the past. And because of Jesus, we can now face eternity, not with darkness, but we can know that the eternity is there and our assurance of our place in it. But having seen Jesus in history, well, that's, that's helpful and important, but knowing that he's raised from the dead and that he will return soon, we have now glimpsed eternity for ourselves. By seeing Jesus in his word and, and knowing who he is and who is who going to return, the one who's defeated sin and death himself, we have glimpsed eternity for ourselves. Because of Jesus, because of him, we have a past and a future that motivates us. It motivates us by grace. So you don't have to work to be a new person. You can't earn it. You can't get points with God. You can't strive hard enough. It's because of Jesus you can be a new person. And so we know what it is to be a person who lives for Jesus, a person who's a Christian living in the new. And so, point six, this is what Christians do. We live in the new. That's our walk. That's what we do. Uh, in verse 22, we read about taking off the old self, putting it off, which is corrupted and deluded by self-serving desires, and putting on the new self. It's more than just putting on a CU shirt, by the way. You know, the CU shirts are quite popular this year. Last year, they were okay. They were good. Uh, it's the same design, basically. But, you know, the new collar variety came out. And, uh, yeah, I know. I, I was one that got one. But everyone wants a collar now. <laughs> And yes, they'll look great, and you'll look greater than you really will. Uh, but it's more than just putting on a Christian T-shirt. Living in the new is more than just externalities. It's more than just you know the appearance of godliness, and and it's more than that. It's something on the inside, which affects the outside. We see in verse 23, this inside starts with the renewing of our minds. So we need our minds changed. This is surprising for two reasons. Firstly, for the person who's an unbeliever. It seems strange and arrogant for me to say to them, for the Bible to say to them, actually, you need to open your mind. Doesn't it? Because we're used to hearing that accusation to ourselves. Christians, you need to open your mind. But no, no. Unbeliever, the Bible says, verse 23, you need to change your mind. Your mind needs to be renewed. You need to open your mind. More than that, actually, God needs to change your mind. You need your mind renewed. Secondly, it's surprising for us because I think as Christian people, we tend not to think of the mind very quickly. We tend to think of emotions in my heart and, and my bowels and, you know, and there's a funny story I could tell right now that's just not appropriate. Um, I've had a car trip in Frankston Mission last year. <laughs> Many people know about this already. Sorry, Mike. I'm not going to tell it. But we, we tend to think quickly as Christians about how I feel and my bowels and my heart and my arms and everything. But the Bible saying, saying, verse 23... We need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Our minds need to be renewed. So you come to university and to TAFE and to all sorts of uh, endeavours you put your mind to, but then when it comes to the Christian life, we kind of put it, you know, leave it over there on the chair and go and do our own thing over here. Your mind is very important. It's very important to God because He wants to be the one that changes it and controls it. He wants to change your will. Your mind needs to be renewed. Because if you had a dark mind before, if it was foolish in thinking, it needs to be renewed first. And so we need to, uh, need to have renewed minds. And therefore, we have this, this therefore in verse 25. We do other things. If our mind is renewed, we put off falsehood, the old self. Put away those things. Instead of falsehood, we speak truth with our neighbours. It's a loving thing to do. We tell lies. That's not very loving. If I tell you a lie, it's probably the most unloving thing in a relationship I could do. Because lies, lies can tear apart relationships. 
Also, verse 26, Christians are those who don't sin in their anger. Um, you know, there is, there is a righteous anger. We can understand that. God has a righteous anger. And sometimes we're close to having a righteous anger. You know, when you feel, when you watch TV and you see someone do something terrible to someone else, uh, and you just, you just feel angry about that, that's, that's not right. That's close to a righteous anger. You know, it's, it's right to be angry about some things. Um, but of course, the problem with our anger is, uh, it's often driven uh, or accelerated by our emotions. And so we need to be very careful about our anger. We need to be very careful we don't sin in our anger. And that's part of putting off the old self, putting on the new. We'll have a different sort of anger. In verse 28 also, we see, quite simply, people who steal stuff ought not to do it, which is a great. Okay, you can see that. Don't, you know, you should steal, stop stealing. But more than that, don't just stop stealing. Work with your hands. Share with what you have. If you want a thief, don't just stop doing what you were doing. The new, the new way of living is do the total opposite. Share. If you're a liar before, tell truth. May your yes be yes, your no be no. And if you're a thief, be a sharer. In verse 29, we see that we have this positive talk about building others up rather than corrupting. So it's not just, you know, stop being an Australian and bagging people out, but build them up. Love them with your language. Don't let it be unwholesome or corrupting. For if we're united by Christ, to Christ by His Spirit in us, then we'll truly love people in every aspect. We share stuff, we give them stuff, but also we build them up. We love them with our words. And instead of uh, all these things disrupting and breaking relationships, for Christians we see we ought to be relationship makers, relationship promoters, lovers of relationships. Instead of bitterness, wrath and anger and slander, slander, we see in verse 32, I'm speaking like someone from Perth, we see in verse 32 that we're to be kind to one another. Kind to one another. which to be known by our love, we read in 1 John kind to one another. This is particularly seen in that last verse and that we ought to forgive one another. What do we know that we're quick to forgive one another because God in Christ has forgiven us? And that reminds us again as we get to the end, that reminds us again point seven of what Jesus has done. It would be a big fault in me and a misunderstanding in you if you walked away from this talk tonight thinking I've got to muster up within myself all this goodness now. See, we don't live in the new, in the new life, because you can do better and you ought to, and I'm going to give an uppercut unless you do. We live in the new because of what Jesus has done for you. We live in the new not because I'm the example, but because Jesus is the great example. More than that, He is the one who has made the way possible. A Christian person is not just a person who you know, has kind of some sort of uh, mental uh, agreement with these words. A Christian person is someone who is changed by the Spirit of Christ and now lives in the new. So your mind is renewed, your heart is changed. There's a word for it. We call it regeneration. You are regenerated, made new, so you can live in the new because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus you can live in the new. So last two things to say. If you're not living this new way yet, loving your neighbour and, and uh, seeing all these, these sentences here as we do this exegesis see what these words mean doing all these things here if you're not seeing this as you well then there is a better way of living it's found in Jesus and these things we don't, necessarily, we don't necessarily do perfectly Christians still make mistakes but of course that last verse there we looked at tonight verse 32 we're also quick to forgive each other because we know we're forgiven and if you are a Christian person, if you are walking this way, simply keep walking this way. Keep living in the new for Jesus at university. 
because this is the place where it would be very tempting not to. This is the place where it's very tempting just to shy away a little bit from that because it's just a little bit uncool to live for Jesus. It's a bit, might freak people out to say that. They're not used to it. Um, or, well, perhaps you've decided that it's actually better for you to live in a futile way of thinking. You just want to kind of dumb your mind to the other stuff. Dumb your mind to what it means to live for Jesus and love your neighbour and know God and love Him. Can I say to you, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Jesus makes sense of the world and that doesn't work in the end. And in the end, of course, eternity does become darkened and you don't have any assurances. You don't see it, you don't know it, you don't get to be there. We look forward to eternity, yes, but this is not just escapism. We also know what it means to live for Jesus now. It is a better way. It is a new way. It is the new way to live. And let's pray that we'll live it. Uh, we're going to do that uh, after table talk. In table talk tonight, uh, there's some questions there that will get us thinking in our table groups about what it means to live in the new here at Latrobe Bendigo. So let's have a, a few minutes looking at this, and then we'll pray, have a bit of a break, head off to the training.